This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Marina Sirdis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyheart. Welcome to another episode of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer, and join with me today are the amazing Richard Marquez and the lovely Amy Nelson. Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, tired because of my new dog, but I'm good. Fantastic. <laughs> that's that's good. Well, it's good reason to be tired. <laughs> very, very much so. Yeah, he takes a lot of energy out of me, and that's ultimately the reason why I got him. <laughs> And Amy, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Very excited to be talking Next Generation again. So looking forward to what we've got going today. Yeah, definitely. And actually, because of our recording schedule, we don't have specific listener feedback for for this one. But um, I wanted to just add another reminder. If you're listening to this and you're in the U.S. um, and you listen through iTunes or Apple Podcasts and you haven't yet given us a star rating and written review... Uh, please do so before December 31st, and you can win the have a possibility to win the wonderful Art of Juan Ortiz, the Next Generation book, which has 178 beautiful prints, uh, one for each episode. I know we've talked about it the last few weeks, but just wanted to encourage people to participate in that. And so today, we're actually starting a new series on favorite character moments from each season of The Next Generation. So we've each chosen three moments that we feel are great character moments, and it could be for a main character or any other character that we see during the course of the season. It's, it's fairly open, uh, so it's, it's really just focusing on favorite character moments. I'm really interested to see what we've chosen. Uh, Richard, do you want to give your first pick? So uh, this goes, uh, I chose from Justice. It's a Wesley moment. It's a Wesley moment. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was gonna get I was gonna catch flack for that. <laughs> uh, no, it's not a Wesley moment. <laughs> I was actually Aww. thinking about doing that, but yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> I chose from Justice, and I chose uh, it, 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 I chose when uh, D- uh, Data was uh, basically babbling in front of Bev, uh, Beverly uh, Beverly Crusher about her son. Um, I think that was. I mean, before this episode, before. Um, he kept on giving more information than he should have. He should have summarized or something like that instead of instead of that. And I think really after this, he's it. I think he saw the impact. Well, maybe I don't. Maybe not. Maybe, or I, I can't really say feel, <laughs> but he saw the impact that it did to Bev. That um, 
you know, this is, uh, you know, she told him to shut up uh, and then it cuts and then the scene cuts. But he was like, maybe, maybe I do babble too much. <laughs> and I absolutely love that because like it, you know, being an Android, I'm, I don't know how much human interaction that he's gotten thus far, but I'm assuming not a lot considering that no one probably told him to summarize um, on the information versus babble. You think people have just been polite with him? Because hasn't he been in Starfleet for like 25 years or something at this point? That's a long time to not <laughs> say that to someone. <laughs> Very long time. I don't know. Maybe everybody's polite and on Picard's ship, it's like, data, enough. <laughs> but Shut no, it's, up, a, dude. <laughs> it's, it's a good point because in those early ones, he keeps giving way too much information. And yeah, after this, I think he kind of curbs that a little bit. I mean, obviously, he gives too much information. He's a great tool and everything, a great encyclopedia and whatnot. But there are things where, you, you know, like especially common knowledge. <laughs> he was like, come on, dude. <laughs> a great tool. I know we're not into season two yet, but he's a sentient being, Richard. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but I think that is a great moment. What do you think, uh, Amy? Yeah, that is really good. And I, I love Data in these first few seasons because we get to see him, again, sort of learning how to be human and learning how to read people. And it's like, yeah, that type of information overload did not work for Beverly. And I love that you call her Bev like you're on a, you know, a first name basis with her. <laughs> and Bev. I'm like, who's Bev? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, she's like a coworker. Didn't I tell you that? <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, you work in sick We pay. love yeah. our characters. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We do feel like we know them like on a on a first name basis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I don't know how often we talk about Picard and say, "Well, Jean Luc says." <laughs> well, oh, no, Bev no, we can't gets do that. to call him Jean Luc every now and then. <laughs> and Bosch. <laughs> anyway. Great. Oh, that's a that's a great choice, Richard. Amy, what's your first choice? Okay, so let's see. How do I want to do this? So I have my three. I just want to decide which Should one. we guess what character? <laughs> you guys, no, I've surprised you, I'm sure. Okay, all right. Really? Yes. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to start with um, Arsenal of Freedom. And there's a really small bit in there when they go down to the planet. Well, of course, they send um, Riker and Tasha and Data and jo yeah, yeah, those three. And then there's trouble. And so then Beverly and Picard go down. And when Picard leaves, he puts Jordy in command. And it's so interesting. It's, there's just a little clip. And one of the guys was like, well, I outrank you and Jordy is confident that he's the one that's in command. He's not going to give it up. And I just think that takes a lot of courage to stand up to those who a have more experience or outrank you. And he was like, captain Picard put me in command and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to continue to make these choices and stay in command. So you can just leave. And I just thought that's a really good uh, character development for Jordy, because then that sort of, I think, lets everyone know that he is ready to take over in engineering when the time comes. Yeah, definitely. So is is that when there's this guy from who comes over from engineering and wants to take over because he's technically higher ranked? Is exactly. That what yep. Yeah. And Jordy stands up to him and, and the guy's like, I outrank you. I should be the one that's in control. 
And you know, and the great thing about that episode or that uh, moment was that um, he actually didn't have to be disrespectful or anything like that. I mean, he was uh, respectful enough to where you know he, you know, basically told him like, "Step out." You know, you're you're in, you're in, basically I'm in charge here, and you know, uh, you know. But in a way, I mean, he could have said it in a way that, or he it could have definitely been in a rude way. But it was very professional. It was very. Um, yeah, respectful to his. I mean, he was uh, respectful to his rank as as well. So that's great ca- uh, character development. <laughs> <laughs> it is because I think yeah, that's an early episode, and I think up to that point, Jordy's just like what at the navigation console, and I don't know if we know too much about him or have seen him in action all that much yet. Have we? No, not really. No, he's more of those. Um, I don't want to say red shirts. <laughs> like, well, he is yellow. So, uh, his his uniform is yellow. So, oh no, no, he was a red shirt. Yeah, yeah. I think at that point, yeah. And up to that point, the big thing was that that uh, you know that he was basically. I think at that point he was like piloting the the, the ship, and that he was uh, he was born blind and had this visor. So that was like the big thing that you knew about him up to that point. Yeah, I just like his confidence, you know, and he's like, well, Picard put me in charge and I'm going to fulfill and, you know, and I just think that's pretty darn amazing. It really, it really is. Yeah, mm-hmm. great choice. In fact, Amy, my first choice was almost the same one as yours. Really? So, yeah, so I'll just extend it. Also from Arsenal Freedom, also about Jordy, just a slightly different moment a little bit later when... Um, he's in command, the saucer's been separated, and this weapon is kind of chasing after them, and they have to take this risky maneuver into the atmosphere to to be able to target the weapon and, and destroy it and beam up the away team. So he saves the day in in those moments. And, I mean, it continues from what you were saying, Amy, where he's he's standing up for, you know, the orders he's been given. And then after that, he's basically saving the day and the away team and is doing everything he needs. So at that point, it's like he's he's ready for something greater. And I I I, I mean, it's I think it's a great episode overall, but particularly for for Jordy and seeing what he's capable of, so that it makes sense for him later to to become the chief engineer. Exactly. I mean, like Arsenal of Freedom, like there's plot A, plot B, and plot C. If you look at it, I mean, this episode really has a lot going because when I think of Arsenal of Freedom. I don't think of it as a Jordy episode, but yet we've just mentioned two really important uh, moments with Jordy and him taking command and, you know, building his character. So it's it's a great episode. Yeah. And I mean, when I think of Arsenal of Freedom, I usually think of a couple of things. I think of, you know, these roving weapons on the planet and this sleazy weapon salesman that they see <laughs> and then and then also Riker being encased in this stasis field those are the kinds of things that I that I Very think about creepy. so yeah <laughs> Richard your second choice well since uh we're talking about uh season one I have to mention it <laughs> almost every time uh and really it's 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 not really much of a character development but I just have to it's code of honor um, of course, <laughs> I so knew it. <laughs> I, and I just love uh, when Tasha Yar—I can't remember his name. I, I actually I just watched that episode a few minutes ago. 
Um, and uh, when Tashiar uh, was basically um, taking the medicine, and you know he was, they're going to show the uh, inspect the medicine and all that, and she just threw him to the ground and and whatnot. Absolutely love that. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, what this is like? This is episode what three? I three. think it is three, three or four. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, so. oh no, yeah, yeah. It's so it's 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 after Encounter at Farpoint and the Naked Now. Yeah, three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So three. Well, basically, we're combining Encounter at Farpoint as one. You could episode. say four. <laughs> it's 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 very early. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so I mean, really, don't see anything so uh, about her. So I mean, at the same time, yeah, uh, with this episode, we. Uh, we definitely see how what her position is and how uh, how she's willing to do what she needs to do in in order to, uh, you know, protect the enterprise. And on top of that, you know, she gets kidnapped in this one. So, um, but like, I, I just love that moment where she's, uh, you know, she's up front in his face, and then she takes him down, and um, just so th- uh, so she can protect the captain the way she, she's supposed to as chief uh, security officer. So, yeah. Yeah, Tasha is fierce in this episode. I think it's, I mean, it may have its flaws, but definitely Tasha and Denise Crosby does a great job acting. And uh, I I really like Tasha Yar in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I think it is really strong for, for Tasha. And unfortunately, in the 20-something episodes she was in, we didn't get to to see that enough or to develop her, her character enough. But but yeah, it's a really great moment, and we know you like this episode, Richard. I don't like a lot about it, but the parts with Tasha are 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 strong, I think. Um, and you're really seeing what she's capable of, why she's the the security chief at that point. Yeah. Well, and one thing I like that this episode and and others do like show that she's very fierce. She's going to do what she thinks best, but yet she's always respectful to Picard. And when Picard Mm. says, stand down, she's down. Like that's going to be her first directive is always to follow what Picard says. And I get this sense of guard dog from her, but more so with Worf only because he's like, you know, the guard dog looking more, I guess, but she's very much. (laughs) Are you calling Worf a dog? (laughs) (laughs) Wolf. <laughs> Lieutenant <Mr>. Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> he does have a, a pretty big bark, so yes. I, I don't know. <laughs> but I think that she, you know, started out that character of chief of uh, chief security officer, and Worf follows uh, what she set up here. So, yeah, and it's interesting that you mention, um, you know, her following Picard's orders because, of course, it's not in season one, but it makes me think of all good things when they're in this period when Picard is just, you know, becoming a part of the ship and he's seeing these things and he has them go to red alert. And it's Tasha. That's the one that says, even though it sounds crazy, you heard him, let's get to our posts and, you know, get everything, follow his orders. So I'd like that they kind of follow that through in the character. And she seems like the least likely person to disobey his orders or, or mutiny or something like that. So um, you know, she she really takes her Starfleet training to to heart, and I like that a lot. Yeah, you think that's also a flaw too. I mean, to blindly uh, follow orders, it can be. I mean, I think she wasn't around long enough to to be part of the episodes where Picard may be questionable or taken over by another entity or something like that. Right. Uh, so I don't know how she would react, but it, it can definitely be a flaw if you take it too far and you don't stop to think like, is this actually endangering the ship? Is there some other influence or presence I should be aware of? But I don't think we really get to see her in that kind of situation. I mean, we see obviously, I mean, 
uh, Worf is obviously uh, pretty close to her, and we obviously see him, you know, go outside his mandate for his his you know chief, chief security officer and whatnot. But I mean, I, I guess yeah, I guess um, I guess we, uh, we if we would have saw her longer, we probably would have saw that too. So yeah, oh well. Well, and thankfully Picard is someone that we can generally follow. So most of the time, yeah. right? Most, yeah, most of the time. <laughs> a couple exceptions, but yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, I think he usually makes this impression like, "I know what I'm doing. You mm-hmm. just need to follow your orders." And over the years, they get to trust him more. So yeah, right. So Amy, I think it's your turn for your second choice. Okay, so I chose uh, from Hide and Q, and where Riker gets the Q powers. If you don't remember that episode. Um, and I just, you know, so Riker gets those Q powers and he thinks that he knows what everyone wants. Right. And so he's going to make Wesley an adult and, you know, give Worf his. <laughs> the, sorry, the look on Richard's face. I'm not going to say it. I'm, I, no, no, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> With his lovely sweater. <laughs> yeah, he looks nothing like him right now. <laughs> No, he doesn't look like Will Wheaton now, for sure. No. <laughs> I I love those memes where they show Will Wheaton character t- uh, TNG and then uh, you know show comparisons. It's just hilarious. <laughs> but sorry, we got side. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> so he, um, but then he realizes like that people don't want just their wishes, or you know they just don't want to be given. It you know, and I think that shows character for all character development for all of them, but especially for Riker when it's like you know he learns that there's no growth, there's no ownership for obtaining what you want if you don't work for it, right? And I think it takes a lot of uh, humility for Riker to sort of say, all right, I don't want these powers, and I'm sorry I tried to do that. So, I mean, we could see Riker eating some humble pie here, and thankfully, the uh, his crewmates don't hold grudges, and it's like, oh, it was just cute, blah, blah, blah. But I just, I think that he realizes an important lesson there of, you know, that you have to work for what you want and just not be given it. And then also to be humble when you make mistakes. Yeah, you know, Amy, I almost chose this one because I think it's a really strong moment. And also it points to something in in Riker's character because I think for for some other people, they might have said, okay, I haven't been able to give you what you want now, but I'm all powerful and I can have all the time I want. I can, you know, stop time and think about it. And maybe I can figure out some way to do that. But he realizes the lesson right away and that just having all of that power isn't going to to really help. Um, and, and he's not going to be arrogant enough to say, oh, I'll figure it out eventually. And I can do a lot better. I can you know, make things better in, in the galaxy. So I think it really says something very strong about, about his character. And I think overall we see Riker being very principled in, in what he does um, over the course of, of the series. Right and I, yeah, definitely um, a very humble moment. I absolutely love this too. I mean, the same thing could be if you like won the lottery or something like that, and you start paying everyone stuff and whatnot, and you know, obviously money corrupts too, but um, power can too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's a that's a great point. Uh, that's a great point, Amy. I, I absolutely love that. 
I mean, I sort of relate to it because there's definitely been times when I've had to, you know, be a little humble in part because like, I feel like I know well, I always know what I want, you know, but then being a teacher and like, I'm going to know what's best for my kids. I'm going to know what's best for education. Like sometimes you just get in this habit of knowing what other people want and thinking that, you know, what's best for everyone. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, then you need a little bit of humility and say, all right, I wasn't correct. I don't know everything. So, yeah. Well, it's also a good characteristic for a, a really good leader. I mean, someone to, I mean, a lesson like that comes obviously once in a million if you ever run into someone uh, like a, a omnipotent being like that, that gives you that kind of power. But like at the same time, it's great for any kind of command, especially as the commander of the Enterprise uh, and also commander of the you know flagship of the fleet. Uh, it's something that uh, you know it's a great uh, important lesson that you know a you listen to what uh, you listen to more uh, people more uh, on what they're saying, and you know at the same time you know you listen more a, a, as well. So I mean it's it's a great it's great a great character moment for uh, for Riker. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, such an important lesson that um, you can't really feel like you know the best for everybody else. You can make suggestions or give advice, but you can't act like you're, you absolutely know the best for, for that person. So yeah, no, that's a, that's a great moment. All right. So from <laughs> Richard's giving the thumbs up, I don't know if you'll give the thumbs up to this one because for my second moment, it's in the episode coming of age. And it involves Wesley. Oh, I was thinking of... Oh, no. Is that one of your choices? It might be. It depends on which one you choose. It might be my okay. honorable mention, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, I mean, in Coming of Age, this is the first time where uh, Wesley is going to uh, to take a test. And there's, you know, different parts to the test. And one of them is a psychological evaluation. And he doesn't know exactly what it's going to be. Um, and, you know, he's sitting in a room wondering, you know, where's the test? Do you know that I'm still here? And he hears an explosion outside and he runs outside and there's a situation where there's two people that are trapped in a room and he has to choose someone to save. And, you know, up to this point, you know, we know that Wesley is a whiz kid. He's really knowledgeable and there's a lot of stuff that he knows, but I don't think we knew up to this point whether he could make that kind of, you know, um, decision, that kind of command level decision to do what has to be done in order to save who you can. And they picked that because, you know, uh, I think Picard had to make the same choice for his father and to leave his father behind and save someone else, I think it was. Um, so I think it's a really strong moment for him realizing that he can do that. And even though he doesn't go to Starfleet Academy at that point, it kind of puts him on the path to want to be able to do that. And I think strengthens his character and rounds his character out more than someone who's just a whiz kid who knows a lot of stuff. What do you think, Amy? Was that your moment? No, it wasn't. So okay, all right. it's safe. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> no, agreed. And it's interesting that, I mean, even just an we're talking just entrance into Starfleet that they're doing this level of test, you know, on just. That's a stressful test. I'm thinking if that, if I, I thought somebody might die, what would I do? Yeah. I'm like, that is pretty stressful for someone just, you know, wanting to get in, hasn't even done anything, 
yet with Starfleet. So uh, definitely it shows a lot of maturity and, and character for Wesley to realize what his choices are and what he needs to do. Richard, your thoughts. I've got to have your thoughts on this one. <laughs> so I'm going to think outside of canon right now. <laughs> so, All right. <laughs> um, no, it's. It, it, I'll get. I'll give it to you. Yeah, it's. It's a. It's a really. It really is a good moment. It's a good character moment. Uh, something like that. Uh, the the test. The psychological test. That is. Uh, I think it's. That's. That, I mean, that's a. That's a grueling test. It really is. I mean, it's. It, I guess that's probably the the best way to test if you're fight or flight, <laughs> uh, whether you become a security officer or command or just an engineer or what or or medical or whatever else. I I mean, but like uh, definitely, um, yeah. I mean, I wish something I I I wish something like that was in the was in the military. <laughs> like, I mean, there's no there's no real tests of something like that, but that would be great to test. Maybe out. when maybe when the holodeck is really you know invented and perfected. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> no. Well, you would think it would be, it would have been a holodeck. Although it, it's not. Well, yeah, it's not actually a holodeck simulation, is it? They actually no, no, no. set things up to do that, which it seems like that's a lot of resources to set yeah, that up. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And how often do they do that? I mean, is well, it the and same it makes, test for everyone? And, yeah, and it makes me wonder too. So there were three other people that were testing. There was a human, a Vulcan, and a Benzite. And like, what was their psychological test like? Was it something similar? Was it the same? Was it different? Like, it seemed like they tailored it to like your psychological profile and you know your actual life and background. So what would that test be like? What would a psychological test be like for a Vulcan? <laughs> you know, like what, what would it be that would like kind of push them or, or really test them? Some situation, I guess, where there is no logical option, maybe. I don't know, but... Or every answer that they do is wrong <laughs> when it's actually right. <laughs> oh, my God. I have I have two options here in this life-threatening situation, and both of them are illogical. <laughs> or or <laughs> gonna if freeze they're up. only emotional choices. Or, yeah, yeah. They're, there they're, you go. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I think, I mean, you know, they had they have limitations in terms of the time, but I think it would have been a strong thing in that episode if they would have shown at least one of those other tests, just so you could get an idea of what it's like, because we don't really see that psychological test. It's, hard, it's always hard to say this, but I don't think we see that kind of psychological test in Star Trek again. So it's it's kind of, I mean, the, the Kobayashi Maru is kind of like a psychological test, but yeah. you know that it's a test. It's different, you know? Yeah, and yeah, it's more of a command test than. I mean, I yeah, guess everybody knows everything it's a test. psychological. So yeah, but yeah. yeah, when you know it's a test. Yeah, but it's interesting if we actually had tests like that. You know, that actually would be ineffective if it, if the okay, I'm, I'm sidetracking on the Kobayashi okay. Maru, but like that would like if they do like let's say that uh, test for like twelve years or something like that, and they never change it for whatever reason. That would that wouldn't be a really good test because everybody by then would know about it. I think the idea is that they do change it though. Although I don't know if on screen they say that, but certainly in different novels they have different versions of it over time. Mm. Well, so. and it's sort of implied in two thousand nine when they say, "Well, who wrote the test?" and Spock had yeah, just right. written the test, so I'm sure there was a test before. You know, so it seems like it was a newly written test at the time that. Uh, Kirk took it, or I took it that it was updated in some. Who knows? But yeah. we need we need more of these things to, to know more about this because it's kind of a fascinating idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I agree. Okay. So, uh, Richard, your third choice. All right. So I chose with Picard, and um, the battle is the episode I'm, I'm going with. And I... I mean, I don't want to say it's a great moment. It was definitely a traumatizing moment, I'm sure. But it but it gave a more insight of uh, of who he is um, when he was on that bridge, basically commanding the last few moments of the Stargazer. Watching that over uh, over again, it was like you know, it's like man, that guy is, you know, his composure is like really high, especially when you go through something like that and you partially think that it's your fault, and you know, yeah. Granted, it was his, it was his command, it was first command decision, and all that kind of stuff. He had to do what he had to do. He's got forty years experience in Starfleet, so he's you know. true. Yeah, I, I don't know <laughs> if he has any stuff. combat time. I don't know. Well, I don't know if he has any combat time. So uh, in that, from then until the Enterprise, but like, um, I mean, he's still. I mean, for and I mean, for a character to have that kind of composure, uh, or a commander to have that kind of composure and to go through that kind of trauma is. Definitely uh, uh, a character changing moment. I guess it's not really a character moment, but it's a reflection of that moment when it happened, you know, so so many years ago. So yeah, I I think it. I no, I think it is a good character moment for him because he's facing something from the past that he hasn't really completely dealt with. Mm, yeah. So it, it is really good for him to see that he can face that and he can kind of get over that. And I think over the course of the series, um, I think that kind of thing helps for him to maybe loosen up a little bit or uh, to to get to know, well, it happens very gradually over a long time, but maybe get to know his crew a little bit more, have maybe a little more flexibility in certain situations. So I, I think it's, it's, um, it's a strong moment. And actually, I think it's a strong episode that tends to get overlooked a lot because there's this Ferengi in it who's a little silly. But um, I think it is a, a really good episode. What do you think, Amy? Yeah, I was this close because I was thinking about the battle too. And I think it's a great episode and definitely one that where we get to know Picard a little better. And so kudos for choosing it. And I'm glad that I didn't. So well done because I, I like it as well. And we do. We get to see Picard and him dealing with emotions that we don't usually see him have to struggle with, you know, so it's nice. Well. Well, dramatic, it's not but nice, yeah. but I mean, <laughs> dramatic. Yeah, well, yeah we it's dramatic, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's nice that we get to see him more vulnerable because right, usually he's very mm-hmm. stoic and, and composed. But he's like breaking down in this episode. You don't he's haven't seen him like that. <laughs> <laughs> right Definitely. on. Right on. <laughs> All right. So your third choice, Amy. Okay, so mine also is with Picard and. Um, this one's going to surprise you because I'm sort of going against Troy. <gasps> <gasps> dun, dun, dun. No, I know, Roll listeners. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Don't She's hold about it to betray me. Troy. <laughs> no. All right. So, <sighs> so I chose We'll Always Have Paris. And this is the one where Picard um, comes across an old flame, Janice. And it's interesting because it definitely, you see that it sort of surprises him, that he still has these feelings. And then our lovely counselor, Troy, gives great advice, just not for the right person. 
And she, you know, stops him on the bridge and says, you know, maybe you need to confront these feelings um, so that they don't take you by surprise, you know, or change your judgment or anything, which is great advice. So I'm not saying that it's bad advice, but so we see Picard go into the holodeck and he recreates the little cafe in Paris and he's feeling, you know, remorse and like, oh, what, how come I didn't show up? And the holodeck sort of recreates this girl, lady that's barely dressed, mind you. <laughs> yeah, she's she's basically wearing like a curtain on half of her body. I know, <laughs> and I it's the it. smallest thing ever. Curtain. And I'm like, really? Yeah, this is what people in Paris wear, it, but whatever. Oh, mm. yeah. I think that's one of the poorest fashion choices they made. But anyway, keep oh, going. there were a lot of fashion choices that were poor <laughs> in season one. <laughs> so, um, and so he's just sort of self pity, wallowing, and and then he's like this is pointless because you can't change the past, you know? And he's like, this is stupid End program and goes out. And I just love that part about Picard because he is, he's trying to deal with these emotions because yeah, he doesn't want his judgment uh, to be hindered in any way because of Janice, but he's just like, this is stupid. I'm going to go on with my life and just be done with it. And there's been so many times in my life where I'm just like, oh, poor Amy and pity and woe is me. And then it's like, okay, what does that do? I just, sometimes it's just, it does nothing. And so then I'm like, all right, I'm done feeling sorry for myself and let's just move on with life. So I really, really like that and relate well when Picard does that. Well, maybe the self-loathing could uh, uh, could be the uh, thing that you do and then realize that this is pathetic or whatever, whatever the situation is, and be like, well, I, there's nothing I could do about it. Why am I even doing, you know, further you to get to that point? Um, uh, a realization that, you know, all thinking about it or trying to fix the past when you can't, right. you know, is, is just a way, big waste of time. Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to, I just wanted to say one, one, two things about that episode because okay. <laughs> I actually just watched it when I was walking my dog. <laughs> so um, so I don't know if you guys noticed it, but underneath the Eiffel Tower in the painting, there's a big like tube that goes underneath the uh, the Eiffel Tower. I don't know if you saw that. I don't know what that is. I was curious on when I was watching it what it, what that was like a tram or something like that. But I would assume way, so. Well, it's too big to be one. Is oh. what I'm saying. Oh, but it, it, were they were they predicting the uh, what is it the channel that goes between Paris and London under the channel? Might have they might have <laughs> yeah because it wasn't built back in the, what was it late eighties? Well, yeah, this episode that episode was in eighty eight and that wasn't built until sometime in the nineties. I want to say oh I could be wrong though. Yeah, but yeah, so that's now issue that was issue number one and then issue number two right before he went into the holodeck. Um, into Par- into the uh, Paris scene. Mm-hmm. So he gave all these descriptions, the day, the time, and all that kind of stuff, and he negated that. Nice warm day. <laughs> I'm like, what was the point of even saying the date and all that kind of stuff? Because, I mean, obviously the computer's going to know the weather and everything on that day and specific place and everything. You might oh, just say, I didn't nice even warm think day. about that. Yeah, I was like, hmm. why, why do you even <laughs> say that? Well, because, well, so do you remember what, season he said for that month i mean because you have average temperatures but then mm-hmm. you do have exceptions obviously and 
Well, it was what some years before season one. Yeah, I don't know how long before. But, well, no, but, I mean, oh, the oh month. you mean the time of year? Yeah, you know, because uh, he was like, yeah, this date and then a nice warm day when he. Oh, you're talking said, about the star date. Is no, I mean, when he says, let's go back to Paris, doesn't he say like May or whatever? I think it's a, <clears throat> I thought it was a star date and not a. Like, oh, well, either way, the star date would, would infer an average temperature. And so he's just saying, <laughs> I don't want the average temperature. I want a nice warm day. Oh, like I want it to be better than it was that day. No, oh, I not guess better. Yeah. Maybe the past actually <laughs> was. You or know, if it was cold, then why even go on the patio? <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just, I, I noticed that when I saw, when I saw it, or when I was watching, it was like, oh, why wait. even say that? <laughs> there, yeah. there is some information in Memory Alpha. It says uh, April 9th, a warm spring day. So it should have known April 9th, whatever year it was, that what the temperature was. See, in April, know? but April, you can have a warm day or you April can have a cold in day. Paris, anyway. You know, that's sort of early spring, so. <laughs> there is a song that's April in Paris. Anyway. April, no, April's pretty cold. Well, it's pretty cold. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's been so a So that's why he's Paris. saying it was yeah. an unusually warm day when he was planning to meet Janice, and so he wanted to recreate it, not just what the computer would say is your average temperature. Right, right. And this has been your podcast on weather in the future. <laughs> <laughs> or average day enough to wear half a, a, half a curtain. Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so we'll always have Paris. I actually have a couple of things to say before we move on. Um, you know, this is usually an episode that I, I like Picard fencing at the beginning, and I like the little time loop thing that happens, which mm-hmm. is, the, I think, one of the first time loops in Star Trek. Um, and and then at the end, when Data's doing his thing, and there's like three of him trying to converge, I think that part's cool. Yes. And I usually underestimate the the part with him and thinking about his old flame because I honestly get kind of bored with it, but it is, it is interesting that you, um, that you point out Amy that, um, that he tries to go through with it and he's like, this is pointless and the program. And always when I'm watching it, I'm like, yes, and the program, let's get back to the other part. But, (laughs) but no, I mean, I think it is, I mean, I think similar to, what we were talking about before with the battle and the stargazer, he's kind of examining something from the past and saying, I need to move past this Mm -hmm. and move on with my life. So that, yeah, that is, that is really good. And I don't know if it's too often in the first season that we see anything from a character's past that they're trying to move beyond. So it's, yeah, it's really strong for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to give you my third choice. You guys have any idea what it might be? Wait, wait, wait. Mm, nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> Amy, you and I have talked about it before. Oh, man, now the pressure's on. Well, right <laughs> no, when you say oh, it, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, I was thinking that. <laughs> my headache's gone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my third pick is from Conspiracy. And it also has to do with Picard. Okay. So, well, I mean, we talked about it a lot. I, I love the episode Conspiracy, but... Um, what I really like as a character moment is that there's all of these suspicious things that are going on and Picard decides we're going to confront this at its source. We're going to go to earth without any orders. We're going to confront Starfleet command and see what happens. And then from there, you know, he's able to go down to the planet and with Riker basically neutralize this threat to the entire Federation. And 
I think that up to that point, Picard has had, we've seen Picard at least having to deal with things that are, you know, fairly limited on a certain mission or, um, you know, limited in their scope. But this is the first time he's been confronted with something, I think, where he has to disobey some orders to stay put and actually confront things and save the entire Federation. So I, I think it's it's really strong for, for Picard that way. And I think prepares him, I think, to deal with some of the other challenges that happen in the future that are also kind of pretty large in, in scope. Um, anyway, I, I, I like those parts a lot. What do you think? Well, and it sort of circles back to what Richard asked with his first pick. Like, do you always follow directions and, and mm-hmm. directives? You know, and so Picard, if he were to follow what Starfleet wanted, then he wouldn't have gone back to planet Earth, you know? So I think it's, yeah, definitely. And he would have let Wesley die in justice. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Prime directive. She would have obeyed the prime directive. He should have got him killed. (laughs) But I think it shows Picard, you know, really uh, thinking and making decisions with his logic and not just simply following orders. And, you know, that's the great thing about, you know, uh, w- uh, you know, in, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's probably going to be the same for Starfleet Mandate, but, like, when it's, like, it has to be a lawful order. So, in other words, you know, makes sense, you know, doesn't jeopardize the crew in a, in a way where, you know, there is an option to escape or whatever. But, like, yeah. But the interesting thing about conspiracy is that um, he's going back to Earth, I think, because of Data's analysis that says that there's something that's really suspicious, Right. Um, now that I remember it. So I don't think there's necessarily like a specific order that's that's telling them to to stay where they are. But it's because of his suspicions, which are pretty strong, but a little unsubstantiated at this point, that he goes back without any direction to return to Earth. Questioning so, their orders or, uh, yeah. or lack well, thereof. Yeah, I mean, he's questioning actually like the whole structure of their of their orders and all that they've done over the previous months. So... That's that's really something to make that 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 leap. But he feels like I have to do this. I have to, um, I have to save the Federation. Or if or like okay, if I go by and there's an innocent explanation, then I'll just ask for some forgiveness and move on. Right? He feels like he has to has to take that risk. And I, you know, over time, I think we see him having to take those kinds of risks, especially in the movie First Contact, where it's like he has to take this risk to go back into the past and save everything. But I think this is the first time that he has to really face a um a really wide-ranging decision like that yeah that's a great pick mm-hmm. oh, thank you <laughs> conspiracy is good for a lot of things it's a scary episode but it's a character building episode too <laughs> all right so uh let's see honorable mentions amy do you have honorable mentions i do and this comes from when the bow breaks And I don't think you guys, (laughs) this is because you opened it up to any character. Yeah. So it's just been main character so far. So yeah, this is not, (laughs) and we never see this kid again. Um, But Harry is the young kid who's running through the corridor. This is at the very, very beginning. And uh, he runs and he bumps into Riker and he's like, what, what's going on? And his dad comes up. And he's like, I don't want to go back to class. And then his dad says, oh. 
and explains to young Harry that everyone needs an understanding of basic calculus, whether they like it or not. <laughs> you know what? I actually saw that, and I was thinking of you the whole entire time, and I was like, oh, that would be a great moment for um, for Amy to bring up, and, and it went I out of my did. head. <laughs> yes. There's always a good reason to study basic calculus. So and this kid's like seven years old. I'm like, really? This is what it's like in the 24th century. How far, that's how far we've advanced. If you were to be a teacher in the 24th century, you'd have to teach things a lot, a lot sooner. Man, you better start them young. I know, right? I'm like, okay, so let's see. If calculus is when they're, you know, age seven or eight, when do we have algebra? I don't know. When they're three, when they're downloading when they start into their talking. Brains. Yeah. <laughs> Started talking. Let's introduce them to algebra. But wow, there is, to get serious, there is a way to start the understanding of calculus when we talk about limits. And I don't know if you've done this with Eva or, uh, but like to see their the kids, and I've done it with my nieces and nephews, like when they're just learning to count and then they're like, Okay, and I'll ask them, what's the biggest number you know? And because they already know, okay, one, two, three, you know, 20, 21, and they're learning to count. And so they're like, 100. And I said, okay, add one more. And their eyes are like, (gasps) 101. And so I'm like, very good. Now, what's the biggest number you know now? And then they try and go, 1,000. And then I say, add one more. So that idea... Of infinity, that's basic, just startings of calculus. So we can start that early on, parents. Yeah. So I, so, so I know what you're talking about it, but like, it, the, here's the problem with that. For me, that is that's not you. I'm saying for me, I introduced Eva to infinity. <laughs> That wasn't you know, like your opening move, was it? <laughs> no, no, you, you, no. It's like you know, it's like you know, you know how you, you go back and forth with uh, with children, and be like, no, it's like no times ten, times infinity, and I told, and she was like, what does that mean? It's like, uh, it's a number that keeps going on and on and on. You can't go past it, and she was like, oh, and then now she's saying it all the time. So I'm like, <laughs> well, and of course the thing that. Like when when I was doing math in high school, the thing that completely blew my mind is it's possible to prove that some infinities are bigger than others. I'm just like, what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like number sets. Yeah. 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 And, and you can actually prove that. And it's like, yes. well, then what does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I can't grasp that, that quite grasp my brain that hurts. concept. some of them keep going on forever longer than others but uh, so let me ask you this is the character being developed here harry or math itself in star trek math itself itself. in star trek wow yep that is profound that's like a metatrex thing (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about blown let's talk about all the appearances of the character math in Star Trek. <laughs> well, I have had that I did, and I bring it up every time I see it. So if you listen to Earl Grey long enough. Yeah, and if we have the one that's, that's about all the instances of math and TNG, we'll see if five people listen. <laughs> Whatever, they will all listen and be smarter at the end. Yeah, maybe we'll do it. Wow, math. So itself, stay tuned that's... to next our next episode. We talk about math. <laughs> no, I really have thought about it and tried to, you know, come up with 
enough examples that are like truly math that mm. I could actually expound upon like this one, but it's pretty difficult because they're so sparse. I mean, there's a lot of techno babble, but like real math, that's more difficult yeah. to find. Well, and you may not have seen it, but there's actually <laughs> a really great example in Deep Space Nine of, of math being used. I won't give it away, but it's very, very interesting. Um, well, you might as well tell us. <laughs> yeah, give what away? Well, it's it. Well, I, I don't want to give away the episode because it's a, it's a really great uh, episode that, of course, I'm not remembering the name of. But uh, basically, in a, I don't want to give it away because I don't know it. And, <laughs> no, no, I know the I know the episode, but um, it, it there's an alternate reality where Quark's a math teacher. Or he's a teacher. Oh, Does he teach yes. math? Or, yeah. Yes, he is teaching math. In um, <laughs> I remember now. It was what it was that planet where they crossed yeah. cross through that barrier in, and what's her name dies. Kira dies. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, there, <laughs> there's at least that. Well, we'll have to think about the different math in in uh, mentions in Star Trek. There is actually an article on Memory Alpha that's called Math. So you might want to take a look at that. Yeah. <laughs> It's just whether I agree that it's worthy to talk about or not. So okay, well, if it's a long list, you could always go through it and, and take a look at it and see if it is. Um, I mean, it, it, especially if it's a long list. Yeah, I'm sure there's at least a couple of a dozen or so. Yeah, or more. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we've gone on that <laughs> tangent, but <laughs> you no, have that other... was a good choice. That was no, a really good choice. It, it's a, it's list, a great yeah. choice. I never would have. Thought of that, but I, but I I seriously did think uh, think about you, Amy, right when that happened. Right. Maybe you and I had a mind meld or something like yes. that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, any other honorable mentions that you had on your list, Amy? Oh, we're doing all of mine. Okay. Well, if we sure. want to, I mean, how yeah. many do you have? <laughs> well, we were to come up with two, so I thought we would rotate through. All right, all right. Uh, Richard, you're first on. I only have actually. one, so sorry. I only have one, too, so okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then you guys go, and then I'll finish it up. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> so I have Troy. Yay! Makes me so happy. <laughs> and I have Skid of Evil uh, when she was talking to Armis. Oh. Yeah. I really like that moment. I really do like that moment. It actually showed, that's probably one of the, I, I forgot about that, but it's very, one of the very few times where we actually see her do real, real job. Like, you know. Oh, Richard. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, gonna like, fight you for that. I mean, like, like a counseling, like really, I mean, uh, someone with a really big problem. And this, obviously in this case, it's life and death. I mean, I'm sure I, I would hope not that psychologists today don't deal with that very often. <laughs> but like, what yeah. having to counsel a being of pure evil? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but like, you know, it's just like it, you know, it's it, she really does. A, it's a really good moment of what it is to uh, for therapy and, and and whatnot. And it's it's really it's a really good moment. I, I absolutely love it when she talks to him and tries to figure out what's the problem and. And, and tries to get to the root of the problem and actually just, you know, help him out. So, yeah. You know, when you were, when you brought that up, that just, it just made me appreciate and love Troy even more in part because not only is she doing a great job counseling Armis and trying to figure out, like you said, get to the bottom of it, but she's an empath. So she has to not only deal logically and figure out this counseling dilemma, but she is being bombarded 
with these major emotions that Armas is putting on to her. And so to do her job despite all of the negative emotions that she's having to fill with, fill and put up with is pretty darn amazing. Well, I was just thinking, it's like, what a great jumping off story for her if this was like a mirror universe sort of thing. And because she was uh, connected with Armis, being an empath and everything, and those negative emotions and evil actually imprinted on her and went off to the mirror universe. Ooh. And she became the evil one. Ooh, I like mm. that. Yeah, yeah. You know, that makes me think we need to do an episode that's that's about what the TNG mirror universe would be like. Well, there's well that's start. what Troy would happen. There you go. Troy, that's where <laughs> Troy would start. That's where it splits <laughs> off. Yeah. Well, if you do read the comics that are out, yeah. Broken Mirror, good. that's mm-hmm. pretty darn amazing. I've been on literary treks and have been covering each... Uh, each issue. Issue. Thank you. Yeah. I keep calling them episodes and they're not episodes, so... <laughs> Well, it could Each be a paper episode, episode. <laughs> <laughs> where, you, where there's no commercials. <laughs> so, listeners, that is uh, a really good. There's four issues out already. So, it's yeah, that's a fantastic series. And there's actually a, a novel by Diane Duane called Dark Mirror, which is an excellent mirror universe mm-hmm. novel as well. So, oh, and she's showing one of her beautiful yes. mirror broken oh. with Troy and yeah. signed. Yeah. Yeah, I posted it. Yeah, yeah, excellent. But it's the cover with Troy. Of course, it is. I know (laughs) Bruce was so nice to get it for me at Dragon Con. So thank you, Bruce (laughs) from Literary Treks. Yeah, awesome. All right, so I've lost track. Where are we? You, you. Oh, I'm supposed to do my okay. Yes, and then Amy. Yep. All right, so actually, my honorable mention is also a Troy moment. Yay! Oh, man, now I feel really bad. The one person who loves Troy didn't even do a Troy moment. And I think I made it an honorable mention because I thought you might choose it as one of well, your... Well, this just goes to prove you guys got my back, so love you for it. I, I, I did the same thing. That was the reason why I didn't put it as a number one, or one two, or three. Uh. Yeah. All right, so <clears throat> it is from the episode Haven. Which I think I've talked about a little bit because I like I like that episode a lot, um, and it's the moment where, well, in the episode she's supposed she has like an arranged marriage to this human guy named Wyatt, and she's not all that sure about it, but she's kind of seeing what what develops, and you know during the the dinner um, that they're having, they're having like some some reception. <laughs> Her mother Loxana is just being, I think, pretty obnoxious overbearing yes (laughs) and overbearing and and kind of uh what is it teasing Wyatt's father about being naked at the wedding and all of this and Troy gets really angry and she says you know stop it stop all of this I can't believe that you're doing this especially you mother and and she just kind of storms out and I like that because up until that point I think um in season one when you see Troy, it's always about someone else. It's always about her, maybe not always, but most of the time I think it's about someone else. She's doing counseling for someone else. It's her feeling about something else that's going on. People are relying on her for this or that. And I think this is one of the first times where she stands up for herself and says, no, that's not acceptable. I don't like that. And I'm going to let you know how I feel about it. So I think it's actually a really strong moment for her, 
you know, asserting her individuality and how she feels about things and not just taking in what other people feel and kind of sending it out. Mm. So I like that, that moment a lot. That is a great moment. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we actually talked about it in the funniest episodes, didn't we? Where data is, is, <laughs> has this dry comment, like, please continue the petty bickering. Yeah. But, <laughs> so there's a funny part to it, but there's also the serious part where she's really standing up for herself. And I love that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I like it. I yeah. like it a lot. I know, I know, I know. Amy does. So, you know, yeah, I do. I love it. <laughs> it's Troy. She loves it. All right. So you had another honorable mention, Amy. Yeah. So, sort of going along with the teaching theme, um, I and what I mentioned when you did your coming of age. This also is a Wesley moment. Um, so he's <laughs> just for you, Richard. Yeah, I did that just for Richard. Mm-hmm. But what I really like is when uh, they're meeting who's going to be there for the entrance exams. And during the one, Oleana, uh, she's not as confident and sort of questions her abilities and stuff. And when they're taking the test and she sort of starts freaking out and then Wesley encourages her and ends up that she finishes the test and everything and. I just, that is such a great character moment for him. I love seeing students help each other. And I think it shows really strong character for him when, you know, you don't want to be in a competition that's not fair and you want to go up against the very best. And so I can see that he's, and maybe not even consciously, but the, the results of his action is that she's better because of it. And so then that competition for getting into Starfleet is even higher. So I just made my teacher heart happy when I saw him encouraging everyone else. Although he was helping during a test. Does that qualify as cheating? Encouragement? Mm. <laughs> that's okay. He wasn't saying, okay, move, you know, push this button oh, that's or true. whatever. That's it was true. just encouragement. The answer is five. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. It was encouragement and it kind of took a little bit off of off of his time. So it actually, right. that selfless act kind of harmed him, but he wanted to, to reach out and help somebody else. You're right. That is a really good moment. Come on, Richard. Another Yay good Wesley moment. Wesley. You can't hate him for everything. <laughs> He's my no arch enemy. Yeah, he's my arch. No, <laughs> no it, is, it is a good moment. Yeah, it is. I mean, definitely uh, a little bit of encouragement uh, that he gave her. And yeah, it's a great character moment to, for him to um, be that humble any other uh, versus any other time. <laughs> no. Well, because yeah, yeah. kids can be yeah. so mean sometimes. And I think this just shows another Wesley's way to be. the exception. Yeah. <laughs> no. But yeah, it's a really good moment. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Excellent. So I think that's all. We have no more honorable mentions, right? We're all. I think good. that's it. Yeah. Um. So, you know, based on going over favorite character moments in the first season, I just wanted to get final thoughts. So, uh, Richard, what are your final thoughts? Uh, this was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. Not saying it wasn't. I'm not saying it wasn't. <laughs> just saying, but like I, I think um, so. It's a. It, I thought it was really a little bit more difficult in season one 
because mm-hmm. obviously they wanted to do a lot more for everyone. So, or, uh, you know, basically shotgun blasted to everyone in the first season, which is fine. But like, um, I think thinking about it, the mo- the moments when we get to like season two and beyond are going to be really awesome. I I really like that we're going to do this per season because if we would have done this overall, oh wow, we would have missed so much. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I definitely like uh, I like this. Yep, yep. Excellent, Amy. Yeah, it. I was actually I can't even remember how many times I asked you what is this idea that we're doing again? Because <laughs> I just, and I had to make something up and hope that it worked. <laughs> I couldn't wrap my head around it, and it was just so wide open. But I actually really appreciate that we can choose any character, you know, and, mm-hmm. and even math, even math, even math, you know, so I threw I think in, that's going to be the title of the episode, even math, <laughs> math is a main character, but <laughs> I just, it was so interesting to see. And just sometimes even the smallest of moments that catch your eye and it's like, oh my gosh, this was in there, you know, about Jordy taking over and showing, who's boss, you know, and stuff like that. So I am really looking forward. I too was a little questioning how this is going to work, but I think it's going to be a great series. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the rest of the seasons where we can talk about and just choose any character that we want and highlight those uh, moments where they really shine. So I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I just thought we're probably going to have a lot of uh, honorable mentions from here on out. Just saying, mm-hmm. as well, we go further if in the season. The goal be. was, if the assignment was three picks <laughs> and two honorable mentions. Wait, wait, wait. Assignment? We're in school? Uh, that's how my brain works. Um, yeah. You do realize that we're going to have to have a supplemental episode where Amy teaches us a math concept and we prove that we've learned it by the end of the episode. There you right? go. <laughs> <laughs> I will be assessing you. <laughs> Here's my drawings of my doodles. <laughs> Richard, you didn't show your work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. See, look, there's a stick figure right there and everything. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I enjoyed this as well. You know, I wasn't sure how it how it would go. Um, and it's interesting taking it from this perspective of character moments because instead of thinking, you know, what's your favorite episode? What's unsung episodes? Or what's the funniest moment or something like that? We're looking at the characters and looking at the moments. And sometimes you can pick something out that you wouldn't have thought of on the episode as a whole or a certain character like math that you wouldn't normally talk about, right? I mean, it's 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 actually led to some really interesting um, discussions here um, over the course of this because I wasn't sure if it would be like favorite character moment. Oh, it's this. Ha, ah, that was great. Let's keep going. But I mean, of course, we always talk about things more than that. But yeah, you know, I had a thought, guys, you know, when we've done the unsung episodes you know, by its nature, it had to be seasons one through seven, right? Mm-hmm. But because we're talking about favorite character moments, I think in addition to the seven seasons, we should do each of the movies too for favorite character moments within that movie. Oh, yeah. Think? Let's add that on. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. All right. Because that would give us the opportunity. <laughs> I, I mean, I know we've talked about movies before, but that would give us the opportunity to look at them from a different perspective that we couldn't for the unsung episodes one. True. So. True. Excellent. Yay, that gives us 11 episodes. <laughs> Got our schedule for the next year. Don't worry, like listeners. That. It won't be one right after another. This will be no, dispersed no. throughout. We'll so. do them, what, about a, one a month or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, um, that's funny. <laughs> excellent. 
So it's been fun talking about math from season one of The Next Generation, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The 602 Club. Oh, huge. Uh, I mean, uh, Tintin, definitely in Europe and in many, many other countries, um, in Africa and Asia, um, is really honestly as big as James Bond rolled together with Indiana Jones and Superman. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. First of all, it very much hinges on the existence of subspace, um, which is also a kind of murky sci-fi term that is used in Star Trek to explain how warp drive works and um, and how you can communicate. The orb. And, and so it, it makes the relationship between... Uh, Nog and Jake really important because it's I think it does really soften Cisco's heart towards the Ferengi and I think it does the same thing for Rom. Rom I think begins to see the ways in which these Federation types actually are different than most Ferengi to kind of think of them. Warp 5. I, I like to talk about these things. They're not easy to talk about. You know, this is not an easy discussion to have because of so much stuff that's going on in our society right now, you know, and what's been going on for years, you know, again, that hashtag, the me too, like it really opened my eyes, you know, and which is what it was supposed to do, right? It's exactly what it was supposed to do. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. Don't forget, we have that uh, drawing for the Juan Ortiz book. If you're not an Apple user, and you should be, (laughs) we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. And before I continue, I should mention for anyone that has listened this far, I did get a chance to look up that Deep Space Nine episode where Quark was teaching math. It's called Children of Time. And Amy, you should see it because it's actually one of the best episodes in all of Star Trek. It's really quite amazing. Plus, the you best? see math. No, one of the best. Oh, okay. Not the top best. 20. One of top the best. 20. Probably top 20. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've got to see it. And you've got to see Quark teaching math. It's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. And there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use our form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Gray. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Amy... Where can people find you to talk about calculus at a very, very young age? 
Well, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I would love to talk about calculus at a very young age. So um, you can find me here on the network. I am one of the co-hosts of The Edge talking about our new Star Trek Discovery. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is on the Babel Conference. So, Justin, where can people find you? Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And currently tweeting out my season four rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. Uh, Richard, where can people find you? Well, they can find me people... They can find... Okay. Well, they can find me throwing uh, people across the shuttle bay... um, uh, on on Facebook as well. I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference. And um, I'm also on Twitter. My handle is xransom. And at the moment, I am tweeting my, well, sporadically tweet, uh, tweeting my thoughts about the new Battlestar Galactica, which I have just finished, almost finished watching. So it's amazing show. I, I, I can't believe I haven't watched it, um, you know, before. So it's an amazing show. <laughs> Well, glad we could get you to uh, <clears throat> watch some TNG in the middle of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patreon Zone, or Patron Zone, Patreon, Patreon, whatever, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer and Michael Huter. Thank you guys for supporting Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Today is a good day to die! Great joy and gratitude. Things are only impossible until they're not. <laughs>